It really is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, as Mike said, we are close, close friends. And so one of my things when I wake up on Sunday morning and begin to prepare to, uh, for my church service is I pray for each one of you guys. And it is a joy to actually be here. I, I was reminded that our body of Christ extends bigger than just these walls. So on Sunday mornings, there's a church gathering in Spokane, Washington, where I'm from, and I've been praying for you, and they're praying for me this morning. And so we serve a great, big, powerful God, and it's a joy to be here with you guys. Uh, I was thinking about, the introductions are always tough, always tough, and so I was trying to figure out how to start this one, and I was reminded of a conversation I had with my uncle a couple of about a month ago or so. And he had a conversation with a guy who's kind of in and out of church and doesn't really like going. And this is what his, the friend said to my uncle. He said, yeah, you know, churches, I go to all the churches in this area. And they just, most of them don't really talk about the deep things of God. They just, very surface level, very surface level. They just go around, they just talk about average things. And I started, my uncle told me about that. And I started thinking, what, it started, made me think, what is a deep thing? We, are, we talk about God. What, what are we not communicating? It is my job to communicate something that will impact you. What is the, what is the problem with what we're doing as a, as a church? Well, we're not talking about church things. And so I started asking people. Uh, I meet with an atheist every Tuesday, and it is awesome. I love it. And I asked him, what are we doing? And I asked Pastor Mike, and so we start talking about it, and uh, I love where this ended up, and you'll see why. For deep things in the church community, what that means is, is I can tell you all kinds of great things about God, but Pastor Mike in particular helped me think through depth is when you take an idea, and you go home, and you actually apply it. Then it becomes depth. So what's going to happen here is... I just let myself off the hook completely. <laughs> because whatever I say, it's on you. Don't you love that? That's a great pastor move, isn't it? That is a great pastor move. I'm so I'm thankful for Pastor Mike. But actually, what, what I think this morning is you have a couple of options. I think what I, I don't, if you knew me, you, this is not, I don't do a lot of hyperbole and uh, excess stuff. But I really believe that if you apply what I'm going to share and what I'm working on in my own life, if you apply that, your life will be transformed like never before. There's nothing more important than what I'm going to talk about today. So you have a couple of options. You can go here and you can say, oh, that guy was nice. He was a pretty funny guy. He, he seemed like, okay, just a, it was a good service, and it'll be fine. Or you can go here and you can apply what we're going to talk about, and it will transform your life like nothing else will. Okay, so we both have a lot of pressure this morning. <laughs> We're going to get to it. So let me talk about this. This is Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Genesis 28, 10 through 22. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then I'll explain what's going on. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie. I will give to you and to your offspring. 
Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. For behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give to you a full tenth to you. All right, so this is one of our faith's most important men, Jacob. And we catch him at a very critical time. If you don't know Jacob, he is a character. When you read the Bible and you see what our, the kind of people our faith is built on, to me that is evidence that God is real because no one would ever make this story up. Jacob is a mess. So here's the situation. He was born a twin and significantly he was the second born. And I really think that this plagued him for most of his life because most of the time he is striving to be the older brother. And here's why. In the culture of this time, it was important that the, or whoever was the oldest would get the inheritance. They'd get the birthright. They'd get all the blessings of the family. And so Jacob, he, he didn't have that. He was the second born. And here's some more information. Jacob, his mom liked him best. His dad liked his brother best. If your family is like that, you are in the middle of a mess. Parents should not have favorite children, right? And so he, he has this, this situation where his family life is a mess. He's striving to take the role of his brother. And, and I think this is interesting. I think this is interesting, so I'm going to tell you how this worked. So if there were two children, like in Jacob's family, they would split the inheritance into thirds. So the oldest would get two, the youngest would then get one. If there's seven kids, they split the inheritance into eight pieces. The oldest person gets two pieces and everybody else gets one. Does that make sense? So that's how they would establish. And so the, the firstborn was, they were the, the preeminent in the family. And it was a big deal to be the firstborn. And Jacob was just constantly striving to be after uh, Esau's inheritance. To the point, he stole his brother's birthright. He tricked and lied to his dad and stole his brother's birthright. His brother was so angry, he wanted to kill his brother. So Jacob now is on the run. So what we have, just a quick recap, Jacob stole his brother's inheritance, tricked his brother, tricked his dad, is on the run, and his mom has to send her favorite child off to, another, to her brother who lives 550 miles away. This is a train wreck of a situation. And you think, your family's bad. This is the founding family of our faith. This is amazing. I love the Bible. It's so much fun. So Jacob has to run off to uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. It's in Haran. He's, like I said, about 550 miles. He's just a little bit south of Jerusalem at this point, and he takes off. So the first point I have is on the run. Jacob is on the run for his life. His brother is trying to kill him. 
His family is very, very angry with him. Genesis 27, 41, just, I don't like, I don't want to say if the Bible says something and then not prove it because I want to make sure you know that I have, I'm not just making stuff up. So this is what Genesis 27, 41 says. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother, Jacob. Brother wants to kill him. Dad probably isn't too thrilled. Mom has sent favorite son off. Jacob's decisions have made a lasting and changing impact on the life of his family. And some of you know that. Some of you have known the situation where you tried to make a good decision, you tried to do what was best for you and your family, and you turn around and go, whoa, that's a mess. That is an absolute mess. That did not go any way that I intended. Maybe you didn't try to trick anyone or you didn't intentionally lie. Maybe you don't have somebody killing somebody, uh, trying to kill you. But you look at, the, at what happened and the decisions you made and say, well, that didn't go quite how I intended. And your family's frustrated. Your friends are wondering what you're doing. And, and you just alienated yourself completely unintentional. That's where Jacob is, where, where this wake of a mess is behind him. And he is very, very alone. In the middle of the wilderness, he's using a rock for a pillow under the stars. Uh, family in this society was everything. You had these centers where you, you had to have, in order to live, you needed family members around to help and grow and keep shelter. It was a very dangerous time. And now he is isolated. And he's hoping, hoping that his uncle, hundreds of miles away, will take him in. Uh, when I read this story, I sense fear and isolation and worry. Uh, I was, this past week, I've been on vacation. I've been with my in-laws. And my in-laws, I noticed this week, have a very unique situation. They, they still, on a weekly basis, spend time with their high school friends. My, my brother and sister-in-law, they have all of their high school friends and all of their family within walking distance of their house. I don't know how many of you have that. I, I don't have that. My family is spread all out. My high school friends, I saw one this summer for the first time in 15 years. We, most of us are more transitional places. And so we, we just don't understand uh, that close-knit we, instead, what we have is we're, we often feel isolated. In Spokane, I have a, we've made a few friends. And I don't know how you guys make friends. I make friends this way. My wife goes to school events, talks to the moms, becomes their friend, and then I go to their house and now I'm buddies with the husband. You guys have that? I, I would have no friends if it wasn't for my wife. I have Mike and Christine, and that's it if it wasn't for my wife. And Mike would probably rather, and Christine rather hang out with my wife. We went to college together. So uh, that's how I make friends. In Spokane, it is very difficult. It's a very uh, closed process to making friends. And we meet people and they say, I've been living in Spokane for seven years. This is the first time anyone's ever invited me over to a house. Thank you. And it's just very isolated. That's the world we live in where we're just closed off to people. Loneliness is a big deal in our society, which is weird because we have Facebook and Instagram and email and text messaging. We have hundreds of people on our phone list. And yet when times get tough, I just scroll through 
and I end up at Mike and Christine every time, <laughs> right? We just, we get very isolated in our society. We get very lonely, even though we have all these ways to connect with people. I also think we can become isolated because we are on the run. Again, if you have children, you know what it's like to not have dinner at home for weeks. You just, what are we going to eat? Just get it and go. We're on, constantly on the run, tr- having to go to one school event, one sports function, one, one church event after another, and we're constantly moving. There's, we don't know where the hours or the days went. One of my favorite Bible passages is Psalm 90, and Moses wrote it. And Moses wrote this, teach us, O Lord, to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You say, number our days? I'm still writing 2016 on all the things I need to do. I don't know where 2017 went, and now we're almost to September in 2018. I'm I'm losing years, not days here. And, and so then I, this made me think, maybe this is why we lack wisdom. Moses says, number our days so we may lack wisdom. No wonder I'm such a moron sometimes. I don't know where the last five years have gone. And so we, we just keep going and we miss out on what's going on. We're drowning ourselves in coffee to get through the day and taking sleeping pills at night so that we can go to sleep. We're just constantly going and, and then trying to rest and trying to get moving. It's just exhausting. One of my favorite artists has a song called The Run and Go, and I love this phrase. This is how I often feel. He writes, cold nights under siege from accusations. So the way I see this is he's laying down on his bed and he's suffering from accusations that are running through his mind, most of them under his own ideas. He's, he's under self-inflicted accusations. He hasn't even had conversations, but he's thinking, I should have done this. I should have done this. I should have done this. And so he's laying in bed under cold siege of accusations. Cerebral thoughts with one-way conversations. Do you have one-way conversations at night that you actually probably should have with somebody else, but you're too exhausted? And so you're laying in bed thinking, I should have said this, I should have said this. Oh, I'm going to say this. Next time I see her, I'm saying this. And then they're going to say, that. Do you, that's what I do. So I lay in bed and I'm either ex- passed out immediately because I'm exhausted or I'm having these cerebral thoughts of accusations and cold nights under siege and I'm just having one-way conversations and I'm exhausted and I'm lonely and I'm frustrated and I'm worried and I'm fearful. And that's where Jacob was. And then this is the reality, though, of what Jacob deals with in this moment. I love this. This is early on in his flight away from his family, probably the first night, maybe the second. But he's not far from where he started. And he lays down, he grabs a rock for a pillow, and he sleeps on a rock. And in the middle of the night, he has a dream. I'm going to reread Genesis 28, 12. It says, and he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angel of, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. So this is Jacob's reality right now. Point two, reality. He has this dream about a ladder. Now, for us, we think well, that is really weird. Why would Jacob have a ladder and why does... Why is there an angel coming up and down a ladder that might be kind of tight? Are they scooting over? Who's going? No, you go ahead. I'll hang off the end. It just seems weird. 
Actually, this was a very common occurrence in the days of Jacob. If you guys know the story of Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, where they built this huge tower to try to reach to the heavens, that is how the people of this time communicated with the gods. They would try to get as high as they could to the heavens so they could then communicate with the gods that lived up there. So whatever god they worshipped, they'd build this massive temple. Think the Mayan temples. Actually, I have a picture of one. This is called, it's a great word. It's the word ziggurat. I, I love that word. I was talking, you know how people like puddle or bubbles? I like ziggurat. My kids were really not as excited as I was about that word, but, you know, whatever. So this is the ziggurat of Ur. Abraham was from Ur, so, and this was built probably a little after Abraham. So you can see what they're trying to do is they're trying to ascend these steps up the top to that high point up there where they would worship whatever God they worshiped. So, and that's how they would communicate. They would climb up, they would worship, and they would try to reach the heavens to communicate with God. So Jacob dreams that there's this stairway to heaven, there's this way up to the top of the heavens, a dreams that angels are coming up and down. This is amazing. What it, Jacob is realizing here is while he's sleeping, God is sending and receiving his workers. While we're sleeping, God is at work. While we have no idea what's going on, God is working on our behalf. He's doing exactly what he intended to do. He has a plan. He's working it out. His angels are coming and going. He's sending his messengers, and they are working on behalf of God. I think that is amazing. And so as Jacob lies there dreaming, he remind, God says, I am right here. I am going to fulfill the promises that I've made to your grandfather, Abraham. I made Abraham promises. It's going to come through your family. While you're sleeping, I'm still working to fulfill those promises. His promises do not change. God's promises do not change. And then I love this, verse 15, God says, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob is running for his life. He has infuriated his whole family and God says, hey, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere where you go. I'm right there. I'm with you. Because of your bad decisions, I'm not, I'm not worried. My promises are still going to come true. God isn't stressed. Jacob, do you think this is good news? Do you think this is good news to Jacob who is frustrated and lonely and scared and worried? I don't know what Jacob's state of mind is. I would find that good news that wherever I'm at, God is saying, whoa, I'm just fine. I'm working on your behalf. You don't need to stress. Jacob thought he was in a dry and weary place, but he actually realized he was in the presence of God. God was right there. I'm not sure where you're at, but I know where God is. He's right with you. He is right by your side. And he says to you, just like he says to Jacob, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. So if you keep wondering, I just need some direction, God. Where are you? I could really use some assistance here. You keep wondering what God is doing. Uh, God is with you. Do you some of the, I hear people sometimes talk about, uh, oh, God told me. And I think, oh, I wish God would be as clear to me as he is with those people. People, uh, do you guys ever think that like, oh, 
I sure could take a word from God today. Why doesn't that ever happen to me? As a side note, and Mike, Pastor Mike might get mad at me for saying this, I do think that uh, people use God, God's name, for things he has no intention of being a part of. He's, whoa, I did not say that. Keep me out of this. And I really do believe that this is an example of using God's name in vain. When people say, God told me, and God said, nope, no, I did not say that. And I, I think that's how Christians use God's name in vain a lot. So be careful when you say, God told me. But I do think, though, that there are times where God can speak to us. And this is what I want to talk to us a little bit about. While you are completely unaware, God is active. Look at what Jacob says. Jacob, this is his response. This is part three. This is the response. And this is why I'm glad you're all here. Jacob's response is what can change our life. And what he under, comes to understand. This is verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. I'm going to pause right there. There are some tremendous verses in here. There are some just amazing lessons we can learn. There's even a, less, a passage, the very last passage is about tithing. Pastor Mike would probably love for me to spend a few minutes there. We're not going to do that. I'm just joking. Um, but I want to pause right there. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. If you, do you have a special place where you go and you just think, oh, the Lord is here? You go there often because God just draws you to that place. Uh, I don't see him, but Pastor Chris, he puts on Instagram all the time. He's, I constantly see him off in the woods with JJ. And I think, ah, I bet that's a place for Pastor Chris where he goes. And just it's special to him. We just finished ki uh, our kids camp and youth camp seasons at our church. And we have owned a campsite. So we're part of an open Bible denomination. And in our my part of Washington, we own a campsite. So for over 25 years, we've had generations of kids going up to camp. I went there. My kids are going through there. Uh, it's just a great place. And so Waits Lake is a deep and meaningful place for the people in my area because when we go there, we have met with God there. Kimmy Alsberger's been there, Pastor Mike. I and mean, we have people that just, it's changed our life. When we walk onto the campground, we think, yeah, God, God is in this place. Do you have one of those places where you just walk and you think, yeah, this is where I am. There are these central locations that just point us to where we go. So throughout history, temples are that place. That's why people build temples. That's why we had the Mayan or the, the ziggurat of Ur because it's, oh, God is here. Then the, the churches throughout the last 2,000 years have been building these churches to say God is here. The Israelites, when you read through Psalms, are saying well, the temple is a special place. It's in these locations where God is. Temples are, have this idea. In verse 17, Jacob says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. He thinks he has found one of these portals and that's really what he thinks this is. He thinks he's found this place that is a direct access. So they actually believed where, that if these certain locations, God would come and go from. A, a portal that would have access to the heavens. And he says, this, this is the gate of heaven. And th this is, I think this is really interesting because a couple thousand years later, Jesus does, he talks about a similar place. It's in the... Uh, in Matthew 16, it's a famous passage. It's when Jesus is saying, hey, who do you say that I am? 
if you know that passage, he's talking to his disciples. It's in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus says this, and I tell you, Peter, you are, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I wanna show you a picture. Actually, about a year ago, Pastor Mike and I were actually in this location of the gates of hell. So this is Caesarea Philippi. That is in the city called Banias or Caesarea Philippi, and that is called the gate of hell. They believed that this is where the god Pan had access to. So Pan would come and go, so they built a temple here because it was a gate of hell that Pan would come up and down from. And so Jacob has a gate of heaven that's going up and going up. Here is the gate of hell where things would go down. So we have these portal places where the, the gods are accessed. And Jacob says, I found it. I found God's portal. The access, the location of God is right here. Uh, so we can, actually, there's a closer picture. In, in, this, in this area, they had, that's the gate of hell. There were child sacrifices and all kinds of crazy worship in that location to a false and horrible God. Um, but we serve a better God. We serve a good God and a true God. So that's, that is what's going on in this situation. He, Jacob thinks he's accessed this portal. Now, I love this because if this were the end of the story, what we should all do is get on a plane, fly over to Bethel, and just hang out at this portal, right? We'd want to be where God is. It's where God is at that's amazing. So we should just go. What are we doing in Puyallup? This is a wonderful place. You guys seem wonderful, but I would rather be where God is. So we should just go. But it gets much better than this. And this is what I'm excited about. When Jesus walked the earth, prior to his death and resurrection, he had a friend named John. John the disciple. John wrote a bunch of stories down about Jesus and how he lived and what happened. And as he's starting off in John 1, he's trying to describe Jesus. How do you describe Jesus? What's going on with that? So he tells a story about Jesus and how Jesus started attracting followers. And he comes across Nathaniel and Philip. And Nathaniel has a friend named Philip. This begins in John 1, 47. Uh, Nathaniel and Philip, and Philip says to Nathaniel, hey, I found the guy. You have got to come find this guy. He's the one we've been looking for. So Nathaniel's like, eh, all right, I'll come check. So this is what happens. This is uh, John 1, 47 through 51. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael said, answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? He said, before, just because I did some amazing miracle, because I could tell what you were doing, you're impressed by that? This, this is amazing. You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. See what Jesus did there? He took this story of Jacob and the angels going up and down on a ladder, on a stairway, having access to the, to the gates of heaven. And Jesus said, you think that's impressive? You're going to see angels ascending and descending on me. I am the access to God. You don't have to go somewhere special. You just have to find me. Where I'm at is access to God. 
And I think that is amazing. I think that is absolutely amazing. So if we, have, if we can find Jesus, we have access to God. Wherever we are, God is because Jesus is with us. This means, this means that right now we are in a holy moment because Jesus is with us. He, he loves us. He's given his life for us and we have access to Jesus right now. He's in us and with us and among us. This means that right now we're in a holy moment. And you say, uh, we're in church. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Uh, but when you go home to eat, that's a holy moment. God is with you. You have access to God right then. That is a holy moment, wherever you are. If you, if you, um, if you go out to, to mow the yard, if you're doing dishes, those are holy moments because God is with you. You, you can communicate with God right there. You can, you can be on the run and then you say, whoa, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. God is with me. There's a, an author named Frank Laubach and he wrote this in Game With Minutes. This is what he said. He said, our lives are made up of lights and shadows of some good days and many unsatisfactory days. We have learned that the good days and hours come when we are very close to Christ and that the poor days come whenever we push him out of our thoughts. Clearly then, the way to a more consistent high level is to take him into everything we do or say or think. He's saying, wherever you go, go with Christ. Christ is with you. Be aware of it. Be aware that Christ is with you and that changes mundane things to holy moments. A friend of mine named Jeff Savage, he occasionally writes a blog and he started out the blog this year talking about how he went for a walk into the wilderness. And as he was walking, he was supposed to be interacting with Jesus. But you know, you get on those walks and you get distracted and you're just kind of meandering about and all of a sudden he heard a rustling of trees and he looked around and there were birds flying around and he started watching the birds and then he noticed a spotted owl staring right at him. He'd almost walked past a spotted owl. He'd almost missed it because he hadn't taken the time to look around and say, oh, there it is. We can do the same with God. We can be walking around and hear rustling and we're caught up in our own world and miss God staring right at us saying, I'm right here. I'm right here. Come with me. And so uh, I want us to walk with Christ. I want us to all throughout the day be keeping him in mind, constantly be thinking about Jesus, whatever our situation, whatever we're doing. If you're at work, be thinking about Jesus. Be think, how, and you say, listen, if I were in your shoes, if I was sitting out there, I'd say, you're a pastor. You literally get paid to do that. <laughs> and yet I can totally miss it. But actually I started this when I lived in Eugene, Oregon. Do we have any call center, former call center employees here? Listen, that place needs Jesus. Let me tell you. If you worked in a call center, I worked in a call center. And what I would do as I would work through this process, when a phone call would come in, I'd say, hi, this is whatever. My name is Isaac. And their name would pop up. I would begin to pray for them as I would start to hear their story. And I was a supervisor, which means I got the escalated calls, which means I got yelled at and sworn at a lot. And so you really need Jesus in those moments. And so I start just to pray, Lord, help me. 
What can I do? Help me to listen. Help me to understand their situation. What does this person need? And as I'm listening, I'm also praying for them. That's how you take Jesus into your workplace. As I'm walking by my employees, I don't just say, hmm. I, say, I, I walk by, oh, here comes Phyllis. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus, or Phyllis. Be with Phyllis. What's Phyllis's need today? I'm constantly trying to have at the front of my mind, Jesus. It changes how we view people. It changes how I interact with my kids because now, it's, now I'm not annoyed. I'm, oh, it takes me a few minutes, by the way. <laughs> it does take me a couple minutes to say, oh, I need Jesus. Jesus, how does my child need you right now? I'm wanting constantly to walk with Jesus and make it from a selfish, mundane, or ordinary thing into, wow, I almost missed Jesus right here. This is a moment where I could be with Jesus. So uh, I actually have a, a homework assignment for you. This, I, I've enjoyed this. I've enjoyed this homework assignment. We live in a beautiful world created by an amazing God, and we live in a beautiful part of the country. We have lots of things. And so when we're out in creation, we can take pictures and remember that, and that draws our heart back to the Lord. And so what I want you to do, you can even do it right now. You can just you can be on Facebook. I don't care. But if you have a, your phone with you and you have, you can make an album that says beautiful on your phone. And when you see something beautiful, take a picture of it. Remind yourself of the beautiful life that God has, has for us and that we're constantly drawing back to him. So make a photo album, call it beautiful and, and start taking pictures. So I have husbands. Let me just give you an easy one. Put your wife in first. He gave you a beautiful gift. Recognize that. You don't deserve her. Let's admit it. You probably don't deserve her. Put, put her picture in there. God says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Put your wife in there first. Put your family members. But I have some amazing pictures of just pictures with my friends. Pictures while I was out on a run. I'm out on a run. And if you're out on a run, sometimes you just get to the point where you just, I'm trying to survive. I'm just trying to make it home. And I stopped and I, and I looked at one point and I went, whoa, look at how the landscape is here. So I stopped to catch my breath and to take a picture. But we want to just begin recognizing beautiful things around us because it draws us back to God. That's what we want to do. So that's, that's my homework assignment for you is to start taking pictures and walking with God as often as you can throughout the day. Don't miss God. I want us to be like Jacob who said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. I want us to know it. Let's draw our hearts closer to the Lord. I'll pray with you then I'll invite Pastor Mike up. Jesus, you are so good and gracious. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you that you continue to be steadfast. You don't go anywhere. You're right there with us even when we don't realize it. Lord, we want to know your presence. We want to know you throughout all day long because in you is life, in you is hope, in you is peace. We, we need you, Jesus. And so draw us all day long back to you. We love you. We trust you in your name. Amen.